We continue the Krishna Arjuna dialogue presenting now chapter 8 which deals with Akshara Brahma Yoga or the philosophy of the imperishable Brahman that is to say knowledge about the Lord Supreme Arjuna says to Krishna Krishna my head is really reeling forgive me please but there are so many doubts of mine that you have got to clear you keep saying again and again god is your indweller i am in your heart and things like that can you please explain all these statements in a simple language that i can easily understand krishna replies why not after all you are my dear friend let me start this way i suppose you understand that you are a composite of the gross body the mind and the atma you are a three in one composite you understand that don't you arjuna nods and krishna continues so you are an mba that is an entity made up of the mind the body and the atma in various ways i am present in the body and i am present in your mind on top of all this i am the atma that pervades everything including every cell and atom of your body thus i am there everywhere within you indeed my presence is very strong actually i am present not only in you not only in all humans but in every single entity in the universe from the ant to the galaxies by the way and this may come as a surprise i am also present in the wickedest person on earth arjuna shakes his head vigorously as if to indicate that he is all confused while krishna smiles and continues don't worry it would all become clear let me start with your body you know it is made up of atoms since i am present in each atom you must right away concede that i am present within you as the power of every single atom within your body okay but don't imagine that is all i have a much stronger presence as the prana or the life force within your body the body is a living factory in which so many extraordinary things happen all the time the heart keeps pumping the lungs breathe the stomach digests and so on all these things are happening without you doing anything about them how it is my life force that takes care of all these skeptics dismiss my presence and declare it is all biochemistry biochemistry indeed these people are fools who simply do not want to acknowledge my presence that is all however the ancients were wise they understood that all activity in the human body 
connected with life from digestion to motor activity was driven by my divine power. They acknowledged this in many ways, while their prayers and offerings especially. They expressed their adoration for what I do inside and had special names for me. One of these is Veshwanara, another is Angirasa, and so on. By the way, I hope you understand how I happen to be present in wicked persons also in some aspects. Their hearts also beat, their stomachs also digests, etc. Who does that? Me, of course. I do all these things, even though such persons deny me and go against my tenets. But let that pass for now. From the gross body, let me now move on to the mind. The mind can be regarded as being made up of two parts, the lower mind and the higher mind. The lower part is what people normally call the brain, while the higher part is that which is capable of contemplating, analyzing, deducing, etc. The higher part is mighty powerful and has a tremendous creative capability. All this power flows entirely from me, of course. The highest region of the higher mind, if I might say so, is just a step away from the heart. It is called buddhi. By the way, when I say heart, you must not confuse it with the physical heart that pumps blood. I am talking of the spiritual heart. This heart is my permanent residence. It is my residence because the heart is the seat of compassion. The heart is called Hridaya. Hridaya is Hrid plus Daya. Daya means compassion. Thus, the heart is the seat of compassion. Compassion cannot exist without Prema or love. Hence, the heart is also the seat of love, Shama or forbearance and so on. In brief, the heart is the fountainhead of all divine virtues and qualities. Arjuna asks, Krishna, I agree that God is present in a wicked man as a life force. But surely, the wicked man has no heart. Therefore, how can God be his indweller? With a smile, Krishna replies, No, Arjuna, what you are saying is not true. Let us say there is a river and that a dam is built across it. Suppose the dam shutters are closed. Then there would be no water downstream, but upstream there would be water in the reservoir. Agree? The situation with respect to an evil person is similar. That person too has a heart and God resides there also. But the virtues of the heart are damned and do not flow to the mind and the body. That is why the person's thoughts are wicked and his actions are bad. Yet, just as there is always some seepage in a dam, even so-called bad people occasionally exhibit traces of good. So don't write them off completely. Suppose a bad man 
sees a small baby smiling happily. Charmed by the baby, this man would also smile in return. The baby is close to God and that is why it is happy. And in that brief instant, even that evil man is in communion with God. By the way, it has happened many times that a bad man has suddenly turned good. Don't you know the story of Sage Valmiki, who has described my earlier avatar in his immortal Ramayana? Earlier, he was a robber, but one day he changed. That happened when the shutters of the dam were raised. Thus, God resides in the hearts of all without any exception. I now wish to tell you something about creation and the dissolution of the universe and the cycle of birth and death that takes place within it. As a part of my never-ending cosmic drama, I create the universe, let it run for a while and then dissolve it. I then recreate it and later dissolve it once more. This goes on and on. This is all a part of my Leela or Divine Sport. At the time of creation, everything issues forth from me. And at the time of dissolution, everything comes back into me. The birth of the universe occurs at what might be called the cosmic dawn and the dissolution occurs when cosmic night sets in. Don't imagine that the duration between dawn and nightfall is 12 hours. Where the universe is concerned, this time span is several billions of years. Between dissolution and the next creation, all the withdrawn beings are kept in a state of suspended animation, as it were. They emerge once more when the next cycle of creation occurs. You will of course appreciate that though universes might come and go, I go on forever. Once again, I repeat that there is nothing beyond me and I am what philosophers refer to as the ultimate ultimate. Turning now to the living things, there are, as you know, millions of species. They have emerged as the result of a complex evolutionary process. It all might seem to have happened quite naturally. So it appears to those who do not inquire in depth. The wise know that every single aspect of evolution is a part of my master plan. There is nothing random about it, though it might seem so. There are actually three strands of evolution in the universe. The first is the strand that relates to the evolution of inanimate matter. It is as a result of this evolution that you have planets, stars, mountains, etc. The second strand is connected with the origin of life and the evolution of species. Among the living species, there is a distinct hierarchy. The plants are at the bottom. They cannot move about, have to feed themselves from the word go and have no nervous system. After the plants come the animals. They have a nervous system and also a brain, but with limited capacity. At the top of the totem pole 
is man. He is superior in every conceivable way. Man is superior not merely in terms of brain capacity and creativity, but because he alone can reach high levels of consciousness. He alone can recognize God within, and it is on account of that he can exhibit divine qualities and virtues. In fact, there is something very interesting here. Though time is short, I cannot skip a reference to this. Arjuna, I wish to call attention to three important and interrelated things, conscious, conscience, and consciousness. Presently, I shall explain what these are, and you had better pay careful attention. Being conscious means being aware of the external world. Not only man, but even animals have this capability. After conscious comes conscience. This, one might say, is the voice of God within. It is through the conscience that the enveloper speaks. Obviously, animals do not have a conscience. For them, there is no such thing as right or wrong. But for humans, there is, and that is why God, in His mercy, speaks from within. That voice of God is the conscience. In other words, man can listen to God speaking to him from within. This conscience is one aspect of the universal consciousness that is another name for the omnipresent God. This truth is not evident to ordinary mortals who may be good in their own way and listening to their conscience. But when wisdom dawns, they become aware that conscience or individual consciousness, as one might call it, is the same as universal consciousness. This truth is described in the Vedas through the statement Pragnanam Brahma, meaning that the individual and universal consciousness are one and the same. There is another Vedic declaration that also asserts that the self within is the same as the universal self, meaning the same God resides in all. This says, I am Atma Brahma, which essentially means that the God within and without are one and the same. This universal consciousness is supreme. It is that which is also called the Atma, God, etc. This I have told you before, but since the point is important, I stress it again. The Atma or the universal consciousness is the source of creation. In the entities in creation, aspects of this universal consciousness show up in a limited manner in the lower species. In animals, for example, it shows up merely as the ability to be conscious of the world outside. In humans, it manifests additionally as the conscience within that acts as the guide to life. But if the human is evolved, he attains the state of what may be called constant integrated awareness. That is, the person sees God everywhere, in everything, and all the time. In other words, he becomes one with the universal consciousness. Arjuna asks, Krishna, could I put it this way? 
in life one must first be conscious of one's conscience and from there rise to the level of universal consciousness expressing great delight krishna exclaims arjuna that is great you are now beginning to get the hang of things good show indeed and keep it up continuing krishna says but arjuna mere bookish knowledge is not enough life is a never ending examination and at every stage you would have to check between right and wrong before acting showing some signs of disappointment arjuna now asks krishna why does god make life a never ending exam can't we have a break some relaxation and also some fun perhaps krishna replies god knows you would complain in this manner so he offers a concession he says listen why are you so bothered about how to get through these exams am i not sitting there right within you in your heart and am i not always available to give you the answers to questions you are unable to answer yourself just activate your intellect or buddhi and give me a ring can you ask for a better deal in the worldly exams you cannot have such consultations during exams but in god's exam you have this privilege arjuna in a sense only in man can one see the third strand of evolution in action where consciousness is concerned some are at the very bottom some are in the middle while a handful are at the top all that i am now telling you is closely related to the cycle of repeated births and deaths if a person resists spiritual evolution then i am afraid that that person would have to go through innumerable birth cycles to achieve spiritual refinement and in the process he has to face all kinds of problems but one does not have to get stuck like this all one has to do is to surrender to me place full faith in me and i shall take care of the rest this brings me to the topic of the time of death and the right time to die there is a lot of confusion regarding this and i do not want you to be misled by popular misconceptions first and foremost i wish to stress that if you manage to think of me at the moment you are giving up your body then all your problems are over you will instantly merge in me no more rebirth and all the hassles associated with human existence here on earth that is a bargain offer is it not unlike the commercial bargains that are usually available only at festival times my offer is available all the time to all people everywhere but i must caution you that thinking of me at just the last minute is not easy arjuna comments i knew that there would be a fine print somewhere if that is not easy then krishna why are you bothering to mention it at all krishna smiles and replies arjuna you have got it all wrong 
There is no catch anywhere as you seem to imagine. All I am saying is that you must make sure you think of me at the last moment. You see, man spends all his life absorbed in the outside world. You may protest and ask what else is one supposed to do? Can one be sitting in meditation all the time? No, Arjuna, I am not suggesting anything like that at all. I know very well that people would be busy all the time with worldly activities. They would be preoccupied with family problems, health problems, financial problems and so on. All this I know. I am not asking anyone to run away from these or bury their heads in the sand. Not at all. Don't you realize that right now I am asking you not to run away from battle but to enter it? Then what? My simple formula is do what you have to do but keep chanting my name all the time. That is all. What I am suggesting is not difficult at all. It is just a matter of regular practice. You are an expert archer. How did you become one such? Was it not through constant practice? Without such practice, can you react suddenly, say, if you were in danger? I am saying the same sort of thing. If you cultivate the habit of constantly chanting my name, then you would do it automatically in the last minute. Where is the trickery here? Arjuna now asks, Granted, but then Krishna, you are known by so many names. Which of these am I supposed to chant? Krishna replies with a smile, You can choose any name of mine that you like, any name. Just make sure that when you chant, you do so with feeling and love. That is all. But unfortunately, people do not bother to follow this very easy prescription. That is the problem. Arjunano asks, What happens to people who fail to merge in you after death? Krishna replies, Well, death must come to all bodies. That is the law of the universe. No escape from that. The good enjoy a good afterlife while the evil ones have a rough time. Now, there is a folklore related to the fact that during the year, the sun spends six months over the northern hemisphere and six months over the southern hemisphere. Based on this, somehow the idea developed that good people die during the bright period, that is, during the period when the sun is in the north. In the same way, the bad people were supposed to die during the dark period. This myth is a cross distortion of the spiritual truth. The fact is that good people are those who follow the path of wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are normally associated with light. That is what made people to think that the good alone die during the bright period. These people who speculated thus did not understand the difference between physical brightness and spiritual brightness. Good people are always guided by spiritual light and their life automatically ends in spiritual brightness. That is all. 
the fate after death has nothing to do with the sun being the north or the south at the time of death but on how you are here on earth so once again arjuna the bottom line is think of me always under all circumstances if you do so then i would be there to receive you at the last moment and after that you are guaranteed a bright future shall i say